0: Welcome to Echumon
1: with Willis and Alex. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Echumon. I'm Alex, and I'm joined by my good friend Willis. Hey, Hey Alex. Hey, friends. Hey, everyone. Uh, And we are bringing you yet another episode on this podcast where we explore the interesting biblical phrases that you might hear in the English language. And this week, our phrase is brought to you by Willis. Willis, why did you choose this phrase?
0: I chose this phrase, and the phrase is at wit's end, for the very mundane reason that Alex has a spreadsheet from which I, I am allowed and given permission to pick a phrase from. And we're, we're getting to, to the phrases, a very limited number of phrases that I actually recognize now. And I think that says much more about my own new voc- vocabulary rather than any obscure phrases that Alex has chosen. But that's a main reason. I recognize this one at wit's end. I've heard of it. And I was personally surprised to hear that it came from the Bible. And so really keen to share where it comes from after having done some research with Alex about it, but first of all, let me just give a quick overview. What does it mean? So I don't think this is an exact word for word translation from any dictionary, but it basically means if you're at your wit's end, it means that you're so worried and exhausted from the difficulties of life that the only thing you can do is just cry out in helplessness. You've reach, you've literally reached the very end of any self, any aspect of of any resource that you can find for yourself to try and claw your way out of the situation. Nothing's worked. You're at this, you're at this point of you've run out of ideas, run out of any, any hope almost you're at your wits. end. is how you use the
1: word. Mm. Do you have any um, examples of where you've used it or where you've seen it used?
0: Good question. I'm pretty sure I've seen it used in books that I've read before. Nothing, due to my poor memory, stands out particularly clearly. I don't listen or read the news enough to, well, with enough attention to recall any articles on yeah, the top of my head. I tried either. to Google it. Can you rescue me in this? <laughs> I'm at yeah, my end in relation to this question. I, I tried, tried to Google it,
1: it couldn't find any. Um, <laughs> okay. okay. No, it's it's certainly one one of the ones where I think um, I know what it means, but I don't personally use it. I don't think I've heard people use it. But I like the idea i think so wit is kind of like intellect right wisdom skill um yes. and so it's,
0: it's it's a compliment generally to say someone is witty
1: it means that they're mm. good with their words or intelligent yes. with their use of words mm. uh well humans tend to think that we're pretty smart um and so the idea yeah i don't know have you ever been in a situation where you've been because i i tend to think of myself as as reasonably smart so if i'm ever in a time where I I need to solve a problem or something Mm. I'm usually able to come up with ideas where I can always ask someone else but Mm. I guess the idea of at your wits end is like there's literally nothing there's nothing we can do and there's nothing we can think of so that actually might be quite rare in Mm. our context for it to be taken literally because most of us uh, thankfully have people we can ask for help for support and yeah so it, it really is if we take it in its literal sense, a very extreme situation that maybe many of us have not experienced or we've experienced very rarely. I don't know if you have any personal experiences to add to that.
0: I don't. And I think that just speaks to its rareness. We live in a society that prizes itself in having a bunch of backup plans and safety nets if things go wrong, from our bank accounts to the number of jobs that we apply for, to if we're if we're doing a, a task at work or at university and we and we run out of ideas ourselves, we always have, as you said, that friend or that colleague that we can reluctantly ask for help from. So it's just very rare these days. Yeah. and I think honestly, the the few that I that I can think of where I've literally run out of any ideas, it's it's usually still at this point where like, oh, I guess I could still ask this person. There's never this full. Complete feeling of utter helplessness where I've got no yes. one to depend on. It's just so yeah. rare for someone with as sheltered a life as as I have had so far in my mm. life, at least.
1: And might be slightly uh, tangential, but I think someone once said that in Australia, no one dies of hunger, which may not be literally true, but the <laughs> idea is that we are in a society where practically, I mean, what sort of that's it's pretty amazing when you think about it. In Australia, uh, almost anywhere in Australia. Or if you're in a major city, you can go to the bathroom for free, mm. at least during set hours of the day, and you mm. can get free drinking water. I'm not saying it's easy to be homeless. We'll probably get to some desperate situations as we look in the actual biblical text, which we will we will turn to. But mm. I guess I just want to seem that maybe, maybe for 99.999% of us who are listening, we have not, I don't know if I've shared it to you, Willis, but I have had suicidal thoughts, for example. I'm not saying that we haven't, but it's it's generally very rare because most of the time, by God's grace, around us and most of the people around us, at least in Australia, seem to be, we re, we're self-reliant. We seem that we can get by and whether or not there's a God is at most irrelevant, mm-hmm. I think, Thank for you. most of us. Um, so on that note, let's turn to what the actual phrase comes from. Love it. I was um, not
0: expecting us to go on this tangent, but I think it's such a helpful reflection to start off with. How rare it is for people to be at, at our own wit's end in the way our society operates, as less of a society that we are in, in Australia right now, with its prosperity in many, in many, in many respects. Yes, yes, this phrase does come from the Bible.
1: It comes from a psalm. Tell us what a psalm is, because I think uh, someone made a gaffe once and he mis. Was it Donald Trump? I think he mispronounced psalm. Joe Biden. And... Joe Biden. Oh yes. And um, yes, and people probably made fun of him because he also claims to be a a practicing Catholic and all that. Um, So maybe, look, for the benefit of all of us, and even of us who may Mm. have grown up, you know, who went to a Christian school or whatever, tell us Mm. what genre of writing this is.
0: This is the genre of song. It's, I I would describe it as a a book of songs of the Bible. And I know many other religions Music plays a big part, and and it does for it does for Christianity in a very special sense as well. And we see it most clearly perhaps in this book of the Bible called the Psalms. They're songs that primarily were written by King David, the, the David and Goliath King David, and they also have songs written by other authors as well. And that's what might be distinct or more distinct compared to. Other other religions or other or other songs that we sing today is just the oh perhaps perhaps our secular songs match it in terms of its breadth. But I was going to point out that there is such a breadth and diversity in terms of the emotional states that are expressed by the psalmist and the themes and the topics that are covered. There are many connecting themes. Universally, all of these psalms have to do with songs directed to God in some sense or another. But the breadth of emotional states that they cover, of the people singing the songs from the vantage point of the singers, are just are just so wide. You have songs of utmost joy and happiness. You have songs of utter despair and anger. To the point where you where you sometimes wonder why on earth did God allow these songs to remain in His Bible? And um, I think it's just amazing that He has, because it really shows just Perhaps that he cares much more about people coming to him authentically than people coming to him with a face that that is fake. But anyway, I digress. That's what it is. And we're looking at a particular psalm today, Psalm 107, the 107th psalm from which this phrase outward sound comes from.
1: Just before this, Willis and I read it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it speaks to what you're just saying, Willis, that, look, I don't know, if you're not a Christian, I am a Christian, so I don't know what it feels like to not be a Christian. But if you're not a Christian, I don't know what you'd imagine worship to be like. It's maybe always saying, oh, how good God is, and thank you, God, for everything. And that's a lot of what this psalm is about. But it's also describing God in a very in a way that you may not necessarily expect. And I'm borrowing from one of the pastors that we both love and respect. His idea was that God that's actually presented in this psalm is very complex. And I guess that would make sense because all of us have very complex lives and we see that the world around us is very complex, but yet God is still the same. God still shows his loving kindness. It's a technical word, and that that sort of love and undeserved mercy in all sorts of unexpected ways, um, in different circumstances. And Psalm 107 kind of takes us through the lens of what kind of four different situations where people are in some sort of trouble and they're all a bit different but God works in an interesting way to bring about good for them and I don't think is that's as clear-cut as I'm in trouble God please save me it kind of is but maybe we'll get to that <laughs> Willis as to um why that's different to another approach, which may be like, God, if you if you help me now, I promise I will do this or that for you, mm. or, some, or something or a bit more transactional, which I think yes. a lot of people may get the idea of that's what God is kind of like, right? If you do good, then you'll be good to me. And if I do bad, I'll get punished and go to hell. Mm. And that's more or less Christianity, whereas that is actually not Christianity at all. So, will how might this psalm change or refine our perceptions of what God is like Mm.
0: great summary of an overview of the psalm and as Alex said it's a song a psalm about God's loving kindness his love to his people and a helpful thing when you look when you're when you're trying to understand particular passages of the Bible is to look for what we what we can sometimes call a a pivot in the psalm or, or like a purpose clause and we see that at the very end of the psalm where it says, whoever is wise, let them consider the loving kindness of the Lord. And so this psalm is all about God's love. And the songwriter, the psalm writer wants people from the whole psalm at the beginning to the very end to consider these examples, these four different pictures of God, to let them meditate and consider how it shows how God is a God of love. So basically what I wanted to say is that this is a psalm about God's love, and I think it really refines our understanding of what it means for God to be a God of love. We hear this all around us today. It's one of the most common traits that you ask anyone, even even someone without, who wouldn't hold to a particular specific religion, but if you ask them just, you know, who do you think God is if 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 he is real. The, the most common tropes that that people will pull out, the most common words that, that they'll pull out and hold to today, is that God is a God of love. But what does that mean? And this psalm is really pressing us and trying to trying to proclaim and share with us what it looks like for God to be a God of love. So I think that's how this psalm refines our understanding. It shows us what it means for God to be a God who who has a character or of love, who is love and. I think I'm just at this at this moment foreshadowing too much. I'll just go into it. There are four pictures. The four pictures are very different but very similar in certain ways as well. I'll just quickly run, run them run through them. The first one is that is, is a picture that is, is a picture of Wanderers, people who are homeless and they don't have a home and God comes in and shows his love as someone who provides them a home. The second one is prisoners. There are prisoners who don't have any freedom. And these are prisoners who are rightly in prison. They, they, they've shown wrongdoing and what they've done. And God comes in as someone who releases them from, from prison, who declares that they're free. The third one are foolish people who sort of made the mistakes of life and have really dug themselves into a ditch, which they can't blame anyone else in relation to. And God comes in and delivers them out of that ditch. And the fourth one are merchants at sea. And they have no safety, they're they're caught up in the storm, and God comes and saves them out of that as well. So four different pictures and four different things in common in the end that God delivers them out of it. But maybe we can start talking about some some other some other
1: aspects of that as well. And I'll hand over to you, Alex. I was gonna ask you a question. This is a, a nice poem, a nice song, but what mm. does it mean for us, right?
0: Mm. One of the major things that are in common here and this is where the words at wits end comes in is that every single person every single picture that is painted shows that the people are at their wits end whether it's the people who are homeless whether it's the prisoners without freedoms um, whether it's the merchants that are caught up in the storm they literally tried every other avenue but yet they're still helpless and at this point it says that they cry out but they cry out out to God, that is the key. Each of them in their despair cries out, cries out to God. And God comes and rescues them. And I think one message for our listeners today is if you want to experience the love of God, if you really want to know, not 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 platitudinously, not, not only superficially, but if you really want to know what God's love is in a tangible sense, have you ever considered how helpless you are before the holy God who stands creator of all things in front of the whole universe, have you really considered just how helpless you are before him, both in terms of your own lack of power, but in the ways that you have rebelled against him as well, in the ways that you have chosen to live your own life independent of him? And it's only then that one can really appreciate in a non-superficial way what God's love is like. So I think that's one clear message. It's only when you're at your wit's end, if we use our phrase, that God love is able to be considered and that's one common theme that we see throughout the song
1: and if i may make it a bit more tangible just because i think i'm a tangible person but um, um so i don't know if i don't know if any of our listeners have ever been in these similar situations so the four situations were homelessness in prison sickness about to die or something foolish
0: forward sickness for that today
1: yes and um being in a shipwreck sort of or near shipwreck situation mm-hmm. which are all pretty extreme and I think the reason I went with the the intro of self-reliance is because I think very rarely are any of us in these situations but if God is a bit abstract to you even just imagine how helpless you would be if you were evicted from your home even for like a couple of weeks and you were not allowed to enter any building just for a couple of weeks, how helpless you might be. Or if, and and this is a very personal thing, but maybe if you are at a sickness or someone you know has a sickness and there's a saying in Chinese, or something, you know, like a thousand tails of gold cannot buy one more breath of life. But how rich you are, there are, and even with our advanced medical technology at the moment, if that sickness takes you, then the, 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 nothing can help you. Um, Just lately in the news, I saw that someone had been sentenced to life in prison. That's a scary thought. And we know that even like solitary confinement, being in there changes you as a person. I mean, it's not very much. It's just you can't see sunlight maybe for a a short amount of time and you can't move outside of this little room. And yet that destroys a person. Mm. It seems like a very small thing. And that destroys you if you're in prison. I don't know, like these just kills you psychologically and I think being in the shipwreck we don't need to elaborate on but all of these these are just circumstantial these are things that people have experienced and they knew they were at their wit's end and I think in all of those situations what can we do but turn to God and I think it comes to you Willis that you were saying well can we really turn to God like can God accept us why would a God help us if he's even there
0: Yes. And this is where we really appreciate God's love because it's something that we contribute to God that makes us worthy of being saved. That's not love, that's just a transaction. But God's love is seen when we're most helpless because it's undeserved. His saving of us is undeserved. And it's not only seen in these situations. That, that we're picturing necessarily at the moment, we might think that we're only helpless if we are evicted or if we're in solitary confinement. But the Christian claim is is that we pile up all these material possessions and all these feelings of security um, that we make tangible in many ways in our life, but it's only blinding us to, our, to the reality of our helplessness before a holy God who declares us as sinful and condemned, rightly sinful and rightly condemned. But nonetheless, God shows his love in that all we need to come, all all we need to be saved is to come to him with empty hands. All we need to be saved is to come to him helpless. All we need is nothing. And that is the the crux of, of the Christian message. That is the crux, if you want to put meat on the bones, of what Christians mean when we say God is a God of love. A God of love who doesn't save us because we deserve it or because we contribute anything in and of ourselves that is worthy of saving, but saves us in our state of utter helplessness. Behold and consider the loving kindness of God. I just gave a sermon. I do not think I was meant to give a sermon. I apologize. That was this is a, a podcast. A great
1: place to end. Oh no. That does remind me though, when I was describing what we were doing to uh Jonathan, who was responsible for the lovely music you hear at the beginning and end of every episode. He was like, well, <laughs> it's basically a sermon. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> well dear oh. listener, I'll let you we'll let you be the judge of that. Thank you for bearing with us if you have already. We hope you learned something new i'll take the quote from the pastor that we both like tim keller he says all you need is need that's all it takes to turn to god he's open for all of us we just have to recognize that we need him all right thank you for tuning in and we hope to be joined by you next time for another phrase goodbye thanks everyone thanks for listening. Thank